What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. I'm Daniel Yafusi. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I gotta say, it must have been a great Christmas weekend for Dolphins fans. Um, you know, enjoy the enjoy the holiday on Saturday. Come back on Sunday, watch some AFC games fall in your favor, and then you watch your team get a big twenty to three win over the Saints on Monday Night Football. A win. That pushes the Dolphins into the seventh seed in the AFC. That's right. The Dolphins are in the playoffs as of as of today. Seven straight wins after a one and seven start. They're the first team ever to have a seven-game losing streak, followed by a seven-game winning streak in the same season. And this miraculous uh, turnaround is not over yet. There's still two games left in the regular season. But the good thing for the Dolphins is if they win these final two games they're in the playoffs. They don't need any help from anybody. A loss in any of the two final games makes things a little more dicey, but it has to be a good feeling to know that if you win your final two games, you're in. We got a lot in this episode, uh, breaking down the AFC playoff picture, Uh, the Dolphins next game, which will be a really big test against the Ryan Tannehill led Titans. That's right. The Ryan Tannehill led Titans. I know you fans know that man very, very well. Uh, But first I want to bring in this week's guest Uh, with me. I have Ben Arthur, who's a Titans beat reporter uh, for the Tennessean. He previously covered the Seattle Seahawks for three seasons seasons. What's going on, Ben? Daniel, what's good? Thanks for having me on, man. No, no, I really, really appreciate it. And and I really want to get right into it, talking about the AFC playoff picture, because I think really over the course of the season, the NFC has been pretty, pretty stable. You know, you have your your top dogs, um, you know, the the Packers, the Cowboys, the Bucks. But the AFC has just been, it's been a mess, man. I mean, we had the we had the Chiefs who weren't looking too good, um, you know, to start the season. I think they were two and four after six games. Um, you know, they're the hottest team in the NFL along with the Miami Dolphins. Um, you have the Ravens who are, a couple of weeks ago were the top seed and they've fallen completely out of uh, the playoff picture. You know, they're on the outside looking in. Um, and then you have a team like the Dolphins who were left for dead. You know, I left them for dead. I know a lot of other people did uh, at the midway point. But after seven straight wins, I mean, they're right in it with the seventh uh, seven spot. And, um, you know, there were a lot of really impactful games that uh, over this past weekend that really led us to where we are right now. And, and obviously you have the, the Titans who uh, played last Thursday, last Thursday night. They got a big win over the 49ers to kind of inch closer to, to winning that division. Um, but But then you have games like. The, uh, the the Ravens obviously losing to the Bengals, which was really helpful for the Dolphins. You have the Titans stunningly beating the Chargers um, to to knock them back to eight and seven, um, and and as well as the, the the Raiders beating the Broncos, who moved up to eight and seven. But now you have a four way tie for that seventh seed, uh, and the Dolphins miraculously, by way of a series of tiebreakers, they get the, the top spot among that tiebreaker. So just what, what have you thought? I mean, what are your thoughts on uh, the way the AFC has kind of had to play it out this entire season and with two games left? Yeah. Yeah, man. The, the, the AFC is, has just been totally nuts. As you said, the NFC has been pretty stable, right? You, you know, the, the Bucks, the, the Packers, uh, the, the Rams, Cardinals have kind of been some of those consistent teams at the top in the AFC. It's kind of been, all over the place uh, early in the season, the the Titans were, were the number one seed. They had been on a six game winning streak. They were looking real good. And then they, they had some injury issues, which I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of get into later, but they kind of slipped up. Uh, th- there was a stretch. They lost three of their last four games. And then all of a sudden the Colts uh, who got really hot, um, are, are still hot, I should say. They've won seven of their last nine games. All of a sudden, the AFC South was a race. Like, the Titans had built up such an, an enormous cushion. Everyone thought they were running away with the division. But all of a sudden, they start losing. They have some key guys getting injured. And then the Colts start to find their rhythm. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, to, to many people, has kind of gotten into – the MVP conversation or whatever, and and, and they've kind of turned their season around. And so if the Titans didn't beat the 49ers on Thursday, um, and, and then we know that the Colts beat, uh, what was it, the, the Cardinals, if, if that, that was what had happened, then this would be pretty much a wide open race 
Um, but because the Titans were able to beat the, the Niners and uh, they're in a, the Titans are in a position now heading into this Dolphins game where, where they just need a win. Or if the Colts lose either of their last two games, then they're the Titans are assured of uh, of a second straight division title. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of been nuts. Uh, it, it looks like at, at this point, the Titans will be uh, there. They'll win their division, but they're also still in play for the number one overall seed, depending on how, how kind of they, they perform. Like if they win out and the chiefs lose at least one of their last two games and the Titans would be the one seed because the Titans have the tiebreaker there. So there's kind of that whole thing you have to watch. And then uh, the, the bills in, in the, the division that you cover uh, Daniel, they're, they're obviously at the top of the, the East right now. And then the Bengals have kind of come back into the picture again uh, in, in the North and then a bunch of those teams, as you mentioned, are kind of all in the mix. There's the Ravens, there's the Browns, there's the Chargers, the Steelers. It's kind of crazy. I can't remember the last time there were kind of so many different scenarios into the, heading into the final two weeks of the season. So uh, it, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, and then obviously this game that we'll be covering Sunday will have huge implications for, for both teams. Um, as you said, the, the Dolphins are kind of trying to get that wild card spot and the Titans are looking to lock up their division and hopefully have a chance at the one seed. So uh, there's a lot to play for at this point. No, most definitely. And that's what's so exciting about it. You know, um, I, I don't think many people in Miami, South Florida thought that the Dolphins were going to be playing um, games with playoff implications this late into the season after starting one and seven. And like you said, um, the Titans, Titans can still get the number one seed um, with two games left. Um, they're still trying to clinch their division with with what you win on Sunday. They would do um, the Dolphins need to win to stay in the at least in that seventh spot and maybe even move up a little bit higher. Um, if they lose one of these final two games, like I said, they can uh, still get a playoff spot. But then you're going back to a position where you need some help. So it'd be terrible to have the Dolphins, you know, do all this, uh, have all this good work just to spoil it and, um, you know, kind of take the destiny out of their own hands. Um, but as we really kind of shift into this specific game on Sunday between the Dolphins and the Titans. I, I kind of want to look into the state of the Titans. Um, this was a this was an interesting team. You know, they're they're still number two in the AFC, uh, but but obviously, you know, this has been a team that has been kind of hit by injuries, you know, most importantly to, to Derrick Henry. Um, you know, they've been four and three since Derrick Henry sustained a foot injury in week eight. Um, they're just coming off a, off a big 20 to 17 win of the 49ers in which they overcame a 10-0 deficit. Um, but now you have, you know, you have some guys coming back. You have A.J. Brown who made his return. He's been kind of in and out of the lineup. He was uh, had a big boost uh, to Ryan Tannehill. Um, but, but obviously, as we're going to really kind of kind of break it down, you have the COVID factor. You know, we've been talking about this on the Dolphins in Depth podcast a lot the past two weeks because it's just – it just is – prevalent in the league and it's going to impact the the playoff picture in the final couple of weeks of the season um you know the dolphins are coming off a game where they just played uh, a saints team that had like close to two dozen players out um and there's no doubt that that impacted the game that we watched on monday night now if the saints have some of those guys back or all those guys back do we have a different game uh, there's a good chance, you know, I still thought that the Dolphins would probably win that game, uh, maybe a little bit closer, um, but there's no doubt that COVID is impacting uh, the Dolphins playoff run. It's impacting a lot of teams playoff runs. And uh, this is where I bring you in again to ask just what's the state of, I guess, the Titans COVID situation. I know that, um, you know, not too long uh, before we started recording this, um, a lot more um, COVID announcements came out and, you know, on the Dolphins side, you had five more players land on that list, including safety, Brandon Jones, uh, defensive lineman, John Jenkins and Adam Butler and wide receiver Preston Williams among the active roster players. Uh, but where do the, where do things stand on the Tennessee side? Yeah. So right now the, the Titans have nine players from their active roster in COVID protocols. They have 11 total. If you include, um, a receiver, uh, Cody Hollister, which they actually use, who they actually use a lot. And then 
their first round pick from the past draft, Caleb Farley. He's also in COVID protocols, but he's done for the season uh, with a torn ACL. So it's really nine, well, 10 guys, including Hollister, that you're really looking at. Um, and in, in terms of kind of the, the impact, I think kind of when you look at the list of names in protocols for the Titans, you kind of immediately look at the wide receivers because you have Julio, um, Julio Jones in there. I mean, we all know kind of the, the guy, the talent that Julio Jones has been. Um, and, and he's sort of been in and out of the Titans lineup all season with a hamstring injury, which has kind of frustrated everyone in Nashville. But but when he is out there, he is a threat and defenses do have to kind of respect what he brings to the table. He's in COVID protocols. Um, another one of their better receivers, Nick Westbrook, Akina, um, he's probably been the he, he's one of Ryan Tannehill's most trusted uh, receivers he, in many games. He's ended up just being their number two option. Uh, he, he's really just like a possession receiver, but because of injuries to AJ and Julio and and stuff like that, he's really had to be the guy in moments. Um, so he's also in protocols. And then Cody Hollister, who I mentioned, he's been used multiple times as a practice squad elevation. Uh, so with those three guys in, in protocols, uh, that that really puts even more pressure on A.J. Brown uh, to be that guy. Uh, we saw how much the Titans missed A.J., in their Thursday night win over the 49ers at career high, 11 receptions, 149 yards um, really just changed the dynamic of a, of a Titans offense that has struggled and, and really been inconsistent um, all year because of injuries, uh, especially to the wide receivers and, and to the old line room and having AJ really made all the difference. And so you look at the state of kind of the, the uh, guys on the COVID list, it, it's, it kind of screams that AJ is going to have to be uh, dependent on and, and look and, and Daniel, as we're recording this, like I want to say 30 minutes ago, the NFL and NFL PA just updated the, yep. the return to play protocol. So I guess after uh, five days, instead of 10 um, asymptomatic players, uh, regardless of their vaccination status can return. So a lot of these guys we're in protocols and I know the dolphins uh, on your side that there are a lot of guys in protocols as well. 14 players um, right now. Yep. 14 players on, on your side, nine, uh, uh, nine active players on the Titan side in protocols. Like, I mean, all these guys can now return uh, by Sunday. So all of what I'm saying, Daniel could be moot point uh, by Sunday, but if they're not asymptomatic and, and if they don't test out a protocols, that's, the, the Titans wide receiver room is definitely hurting uh, their O-line room, which I had mentioned has kind of had injury issues. They have key guys in protocols right now. Uh, they have two starters and one of their top reserves in uh, on the COVID list um, in, in left tackle Taylor Lewan and uh, and starting right guard Nate Davis and then reserve offensive tackle Kendall Lamb. Uh, all those guys are in protocols at the moment. So, um, so yeah, if, if the Titans don't get them back uh, for this Dolphins game, you, you, you have concerns if you're a Titans fan about the pass protection. And, and we saw what the, watching the, the, what the Dolphins did to Ian Book and, and that, that Saints O-line uh, on on Sunday, uh, that, that was I, I want to say the Dolphins had six or seven sacks in that game. Eight sacks, eight, eight sacks. Oh, eight! Wow, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I stopped watching it because the book <laughs> was just getting killed out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it'll probably it'll be a different situation, right? Ryan Tannehill is a veteran quarterback. A uh, uh, quarterback, he's had success in the league, so it's not it's not like he's green. But uh, if he doesn't have some of those key guys up front, it, it'll be a kind of a tough go. And then kind of another key guy I wanted to mention that's on the Titans COVID list right now is uh, defensive lineman uh, Danico Autry, who's been their number one free agent signing, uh, one of their big money free agent signings in the offseason. He was a Pro Bowl alternate this year. He has um, 
I want to say seven, seven or eight sacks. Um, and he kind of moves all over the defensive line for, for Tennessee. So, um, so again, it may be moot point. Maybe he does play on Sunday, but if not, that's kind of a, a big blow, uh, to that interior, uh, pass rush. And, um, and so, so we'll, we'll kind of monitor all that, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really, uh, I guess it's Daniel, I should say it's a very fluid situation for both these teams, um, it could be a COVID bull or it could just be that all these guys just end up back and it really doesn't matter. So I, I guess we'll kind of wait to see by Friday, Saturday, what, what the statuses of, of these rosters will look like. Yeah. I mean, this new change, I mean, it really is impactful. And, and obviously they're following the, the new CDC guidelines, which, which stated that, you know, the quarantine period for people after testing positive, if they're asymptomatic, um, you know, didn't have to be 10 days. They could reduce it to five days. So the NFL is just kind of following um, the CDC there. And we've seen even a couple of weeks ago um, when they kind of overhauled the testing policy, you know, they were, they were trying to, you know, gauge, public health experts' opinions and see if, um, you know, they could kind of avoid a situation where, I mean, I don't know if much has changed, but, uh, you know, and, and, you know, about two weeks ago, we saw just dozens and dozens of players landing on uh, the COVID list and the NFL is trying to do its best to balance, you know, the, the public health aspect of it, but also saying, Hey, if, if guys aren't, you know, showing symptoms, if they feel good, um, can they kind of, do they need to be tested every day or every, every week? Can they come back quicker? And, you know, it's been a really, like you said, fluid process, rapidly changing process. Um, I would think that, um, especially for some of the Titans players who ended up on the COVID list, either the day of uh, last Thursday night game or kind of maybe in the um, day or two that followed, I would think that now under these new, if they're considered under these new protocols and new rules, um, they would be able to return a little bit quicker. Um, and even some of the guys who landed on the list uh, today, you know, whether that was a test that came back positive from yesterday or a test that came positive back from uh, this morning, I would think that if you just kind of do the math you're allowed to return on that fifth day um so that would bring up to saturday where um you know the hope is that if you have the negative test by saturday you can uh bring you know you can bring them off the COVID list and we've seen the the kind of kind of like a, a real nuanced rule where if someone has you know one negative test um and you think that they might be able to return the second negative test before game day on sunday you can kind of take them off the COVID list and try to see if they can come back we saw that uh with javon holland um last week um against the jets and he unfortunately wasn't able to return that second negative test so he couldn't play um so i really do think that um, like you said, this might be a mute point where a lot of these guys are back. I mean, the Dolphins have 14 players on the active roster um, or 14 guys total, but 12 on the active roster and practice squad on the COVID list. A lot of them landed or the, the vast majority of those guys um, have been on the on the list for at least, you know, two to three days. Some of them have been on the list for over a week. So I would think that you would see uh, some of those guys come back as the week goes on. Now, the worry is. Um, the Dolphins had five guys land on the list today and they just played a game yesterday. So they've yeah, all been around each other. So you do kind of, you know, you cross your fingers, knock on wood, uh, but you do kind of fear what happens if, Hey, um, what if somebody comes up positive on a Thursday, on a Friday, if a Saturday, obviously they're going to be out. We saw that when wide receiver Jalen Waddle um, last week before the Jets game, um, he landed on the COVID list on Thursday and he just wasn't able to come off the list in time. Um, so again, the new rules do definitely help, but if you're a Dolphins fan, you're definitely, you know, crossing your fingers that in a before a pivotal game, you don't have a cluster of these positives start to pop up closer to game day, you know? For sure. And, and one thing I wanted to add, Daniel, which I think is, is an important thing to note in terms of like returning from COVID protocols, like once the, the 90 day window is really important uh, because like, if you have, like, I, I think this is a, a big difference between the Titans and, and the Dolphins, right? Like the Dolphins, the, the Titans pretty much know they're going to be in the playoffs, right? So like, if they have a bunch of guys going in protocols now, you know, around this time, there's that 90 day window where they're not tested, not tested at all. Yep. So for the playoffs, that means that, that, that means the COVID is pretty, it, it's not going to be something you have to worry about because you know, they're not getting tested. There's kind of that, that period of, you know, I think up until like the, the, 
pretty much from the day we're recording this uh, up until around the Super Bowl where uh, guys wouldn't be tested if they test positive around this time. And so if you're the Titans, I mean, you hate to see guys go on the list. And obviously health is kind of the biggest priority. We, we know uh, how serious in some cases COVID can be. But um, if you have a ton of guys going on the COVID list right now, when you know you're going to be in the playoffs, you know that by the postseason getting into Janu- mid, mid, late January, that you're not going to lose any of these guys because of protocols. And, and that's where it's different for the Dolphins, right? Because the Dolphins, like they're trying to get in, right? So if they have a bunch of their best guys going in protocols now. That's hurting them. That's hurting the chances to, exactly. to, to keep that spot. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I think that's also kind of something to, to, uh, to, to look at, especially with these teams that are kind of essential, essentially locks or, have already their their division clinched at this point versus teams like the Dolphins who are still very much in the fight. Like they just can't afford to lose like eight, 10, 12, 14 guys to the COVID list at this point. So. No, not at all. Not at all. Not with, you know, the stakes being as high as they are right now. And it was interesting. uh, Brian Flores earlier Tuesday was asked, um, you know, and this was this was following the news that Carson Wentz, who was, you know, it's known that he's unvaccinated, landed on the COVID list. Uh, somebody asked Brian Flores, is there any plan to, you know, kind of keep uh, Tua Balloa and Jacoby Brissett kind of isolated from everyone or isolated from each other? So if one gets it, the other doesn't. Um, and Brian Flores didn't really say too much. He said, hey, we're we're trying to keep everyone away from each other. Um, you know, I think, I believe that they're still in the intensive protocols where they're doing all the virtual meetings. Um, they're not really meeting indoors. So we said, hey, we, we're, we're not mingling too much after practice. We, we get the work in and then we get out and kind of go back home. Um, but again, this is definitely the time of the year where you are playing for, for a playoff spot, you're in high stakes games and you can't afford to, to lose any of these uh, guys for a game or two. So again, um, we'll definitely monitor it on both ends and see what happens as the week goes on. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to preview this big game. It's the uh, Ryan Tannehill revenge game. I've seen that a lot. Uh, obviously, he spent his first couple of years in the league with Miami. So we're going to break down this game from all angles on the other end of this. So stay locked with us. What's going on, everybody? I'm still here with Ben Arthur from the Tennessean. Uh, really enjoyed the first half of our conversation, just breaking down the AFC playoff picture uh, and, you know, everything that's going on with COVID just still having its impact on the league and, uh, you know, the playoff picture as we enter week 17. It feels weird to say that with a 17-game schedule now. Usually week 17 is the final week of the regular season, but that's besides the point. Um, you know, for me, Ben, when I look at this matchup, you know, I know that a lot of the attention is going to be on Ryan Tannehill. Um, you know, he spent his first six years with uh, this team that drafted him. Um, you know, I think that, you know, just obviously, you know, as a lot of the listeners know, uh, I'm not I'm not from South Florida. I'm not from Miami. Um, so I know that they know Ryan Tannehill a lot better than me. And I think that there's maybe still I don't want to say hard feelings, but. Uh, maybe people still feel emotional about his time and they feel very strongly ab- about his time. Um, you know, definitely had some ups, which included a, a trip to the playoffs in 2016, um, but only one winning season. Um, a lot of, you know, eight and eight below 500 seasons. He obviously uh, missed the 2017 season with the torn ACL. And as uh, Brian Flores kind of came in, uh, you know, before the 2019 season, um, I guess the organization made a decision to kind of move off, move on from him, go a separate, um, separate way, kind of get this rebuild going. And um, Tannehill, to his credit, um, kind of found a home in Tennessee where he's been supported by a really nice scheme. Um, obviously, with Derrick Henry, um, he's played well to his part. You know, I'll always remember uh, Ryan Tannehill taking over in the middle of that 2019 season, I believe. Um, and, you know, they kind of go on that magical run, knocking off the Ravens in the playoffs and then uh, getting to the AFC championship game where they lost to the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but now I believe this is the first time he's going to be playing his former team. And um, I think that what sticks out to me is, you know, he, 
him and this Titans offense with and without Derrick Henry. Um, you know, they had, like I said before, they had Henry for the first eight games of the season before he went down with a foot injury. And, you know, by all reports, he's, you know, kind of on pace to return uh, for the playoffs. But, you know, I'm just going to give you the numbers with Henry and without Henry. So with Henry for eight games, uh, Tannehill was, complete, was completing 65% of his passes, seven TDs, five interceptions, uh, close to eight yards per attempt, sacked 21 times, um, six yards per rush, three touchdowns, and three fumbles lost. Without Henry, uh, which is seven games, he's completing 68% of his passes, uh, but just five touchdowns to seven interceptions. Um, the yards per average goes down to six. He's been sacked 21 times in seven games again, um, less yards per rush but four touchdowns and six fumbles with one loss. Um, so I want to just ask you, what have you seen? Uh, I mean, we all know Derrick Henry's a great running back, but in terms of um, how this offense kind of functions, because if you look at the numbers, I mean, they're they're kind of a middle-of-the-pack offense in terms of the, the major yardage uh, statistics. Um, but with them without Henry, I guess, how has this offense changed and what has been the impact on Ryan Tannehill? Yeah, you, you know, I... I think in the very early going, it was there was an identity crisis when uh, when Derek went down with the with the foot injury. Um, like the the next couple games, like it was the the run game and everything about the offense was awful. I'm I actually have some of the numbers um, in, in front of me. That first game without him, just sixty nine rushing yards. The game after that, sixty six rushing yards. It was bad. Um, but then they, they were able to find some street free agents and, and, and they've been able to actually keep the, the run game going. Like they, they brought in, uh, Deontay Foreman who for you, any college, uh, football fans, he was kind of a beast at Texas, uh, back in the day. Um, he was a 2000 yard, 2000 yard rusher for the Longhorns. He was actually a former third round pick. He was actually with Tennessee last year briefly, but they had cut him uh, with Derek going down. They brought him back. And then they also signed more of a, what you th- would have thought was more of a, like a kick returning uh, kind of specialist type of running back in Dontrell Hilliard. But both of them have given uh, the Titans a lot in, in the run game and have really kept the run game afloat. Like, when they played the Patriots right before their bye week, it was a it was a pretty bad game for the Titans. They lost by like 23 points. They had, I want to say, four turnovers, um, but both Hilliard and Foreman had over 100 yards rushing in that game. Um, and really since week 11, um, they've they've been able to kind of find really stabilize that run game uh for Tennessee and so as great as Derek is and as much as everything that the Titans do from a coaching personnel standpoint um and I guess really organizationally building around Derek is kind of the thing he's the franchise guy a lot of guys have a lot of teams have franchise quarterbacks the Titans have their franchise players are running back in Derek um, but I think what we've seen with the running back, with with the running game able to stay afloat, it's really been the passing game, which has kind of been the downfall for the Titans in, in kind of the skid they they've they went through um, kind of in in November, uh, early December. Um, it, it had to do a lot with, uh, first of all, as I, I kind of mentioned early in our conversation, that the pass protection issues um, that's been a really big problem. Tannehill has been sacked, uh, I want to say 41 times this year. Um, and he has, uh, 13, well, in their last three losses, the Titans have 13 giveaways on offense, which is more than all the turnovers the offense had in, in 2020 combined. Um, and so that, that had a lot to do with kind of the pass protection issues. And then not having the top skill guys um, in terms of receiver, as we've talked about, AJ has kind of been in and out. Julio has been in and out with a hamstring issue issue that's kind of bothered him all year. 
Um, a, a lot of, in a lot of games this year, it, Tannehill has been throwing throwing seemingly to to street free agents and practice squad players. A lot of fringe NFL talent who he didn't have as much of a connection with. So you put that you know, guys who he doesn't really have as much of a connection with, guys who aren't able to win against single coverage um, as much on top of the fact that the pass protection hasn't been very good and the continuity issues there and starters up front being in and out, it's kind of made for a really, you know, a, a mixed bag um, of a product in the passing game. And I think that's been... Uh, the biggest issue, uh, not so much that Derek is has been gone and, and he has been Derek is great. But I think we've really seen just how important A.J. Brown is in particular. Um, the, the Titans are, are going to run the ball, whether or not whether or not Derek is back there. They've shown that they, they have one of the they've had one of the best run blocking um offenses in the NFL for the, you know, for the last several years, like even if Derek isn't back there, um, they'll, they're able to find success as I've kind of talked about with Dontrell Hilliard and uh, Deontay Foreman, but it's the passing game, which has kind of held this offense back at times and, and kind of the self-inflicted errors with kind of the giveaways and whatnot, that has kind of been the issue. Um, So I think as long as AJ is healthy. And as long as you have enough of your top guys up front um, that can keep Tannehill clean for as long as possible for him to push the ball downfield. Um, I think this, this is, this is still very scary offense if those kind of thresholds um, are met. Um, so that's kind of what, what's, what's kind of been the story with, with this Titans offense uh, like since Derek has, has gone out. Yeah. It's interesting as I was, you know, kind of doing a little bit of research for, for this episode. And um, you know, you see a Titans team that's 10 and five leading the AFC South and second in the AFC. But then it's like, you look at the the metrics and the numbers and um, you know, I'll just, I have, you know, the football outsiders efficiency metrics. And uh, in terms of the Titans offense, they're 25th in passing offense, they're 17 in run offense. And, and it kind of leaves you scratching your head. Like how could a team that's you know on top of its division fighting for the, the top seed and in, in its, in its conference, how could they just kind of be so lackluster in this metrics? And, and, it, and I kind of got this feeling and it's good to kind of hear you kind of confirm it in the sense that, you know, it's not only just, you know, Derrick Henry being out, but AJ Brown is, you know, really probably the Titans top target, top pass catcher. He's been in and out of the lineup, Julio Jones, some of those offensive linemen. Um, so this is, like you said, this is a dangerous offense if they can get all those pieces together. And in terms of whether it's uh, injuries or COVID, we'll see if they can get some more of those guys back. But I just really, really am interested in this matchup because um, we've all spoken about the kind of quality of wins that the Dolphins have picked up over the course of the seven game winning streak. And one thing that really stuck out to me is that not only has the, the quarterback play just not been, you know, they've placed, they played a lot of subpar, subpar quarterbacks, but in terms of the passing games that they faced, they really haven't faced any top tier wide receivers or a lot of top tier wide receivers that uh, you would think would really test guys like Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. I think that this is a really, really fun matchup um, with AJ Brown um, against whether it's Byron Jones or Xavier Howard. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the Dolphins have to, it, the Dolphins can play a certain way. I mean, they, they're going to play a certain way regardless. They're going to try to put pressure on the quarterback, but there was a stat that uh, the next NFL next gen stats uh, uh, metric that, they loaded the box on like 65% of Alvin Kamara's snaps because they knew that facing um, in a hobbled offensive line, inexperienced quarterback in the book, they knew that they could do that. And, you know, the Saints wide receivers, I mean, they don't have a Michael Thomas. They don't have um, the caliber of pass catchers that we've seen from Saints teams in years past. So they really weren't going to test the Dolphins through the air. But even if you have A.J. Brown back there, that's a lot that you have to account for. And um, Brian Forrest was asked, uh, you know, 
how does that change how you how you maybe cover him or use your coverages? And you know, obviously it wasn't going to give a game plan, but he said, "Hey, he's one of the best." wide receivers in the NFL. He's their top wide receiver. Um, so I think that is an interesting matchup. And if just, if he can play, um, that puts a lot of more strain on the Dolphins defense. And then if you throw Julio in there, then you got exactly. like a real, you got a real back and forth matchup. And I'm really excited to see how this secondary, which has been so much improved from that one and seven start, how will they look facing some top flight wide receivers now? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Daniel, that that's exactly it, right? Like even that that's that's part of the reason why getting Julio was such a big deal uh for the Titans offense. I mean, even with Derek out, you know, teams can roll their coverage toward AJ, but I mean, you still have to respect Julio. I mean, maybe he isn't what he was, maybe he isn't prime Julio from his Atlanta days, but and there have been spurts um, this season where he's showed he, he still kind of has a lot in the tank. Like the kind of the game I go to is uh, when, when the Titans played at Seattle in week two. And, and the Seahawks, my, my former, the, the old team I used to cover, they've, they've been a, a mess this year. And, and that win maybe doesn't look, that Titans win doesn't maybe look as good as it did at the time. But Julio just went off. I mean, he had like 130 yards uh, 130 receiving yards was just you know it didn't matter intermediate on the deep ball um just the, the route run like just everything and he still has that capability as long as he's on the field you as a defense you have to account for him and so so that that's kind of the the it's that's the kind of the pick your poison element that still exists with the Titans offense even if um Derek isn't back there and and something I also wanted to add, Daniel, was the Titans defense is elite. Like the, the last two years, it was it was pretty bad. Like 2020, for instance, uh, the, they had the fewest sacks for a playoff team in NFL history. I do remember that because because, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I covered the Ravens playoff game and it seemed like the, the Titans defense was just like just league just one of the worst in the NFL, but they played great against the Ravens. You know, they, it was a great matchup there. Yeah. And I was always, and I, I'll let you, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I was just always confused why they were that bad. Because if you look at all levels of their defense, they have guys on every single level. So now they're starting to put it together uh, in 2021. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the pass rush w- had been awful. The the third down efficiency was historically bad. And, and that Ravens game, uh, was something that the Titans kind of looked at as, you know, potentially being a kind of a building point heading into this season. But there have been a a lot of things that have happened that have kind of improved the defense. Number one, the personnel that they've really invested a lot um, on that side of the ball. They brought in Danico Autry, who I was saying earlier is in COVID protocols. He's been, I think he may be the most underrated defensive player in the NFL um, right now. Um, he was drawing double teams at like an incredibly impressive rate when he was with the Colts last year. He's helped out Jeffrey Simmons a lot. Of, of, uh, I don't know how much Miami people know about Jeffrey Simmons, but he's going to be a, a, a superstar. Um, he he should have been a, a pro bowler. He's, he has a chance to be an all pro um, he's one of the top two or three defensive tackles in the NFL. Having Danico in there has really opened up, has really made the interior defensive line of the Titans so disruptive. And then you have that to account for if you're an opposing offense, but then you have Harold Landry on the edge. Um, he has 11 sacks this year. Um, and, you know, f- former, former second round pick, he, he, led the nation in, in sacks uh, in, what was it, 2017, I want to say, in, in college. Um, but, but he's a force. Um, so you, add, you have Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry inside. You have Harold Landry on the outside. And then their biggest free agent signing, Bud Dupree, they signed him to an, like an $82.5 million deal. Um, he's just now kind of starting to get his feet under him. Uh, he had torn his ACL last December, kind of got off to a slow start with the Titans, was on IR, and he's come back, has had sacks in consecutive games. Uh, and so the everything for this Titans defense really starts with the D-line. They have one of the best, 
if not, I don't want, I don't want to say maybe the, the best D line, but I'd say a top three defensive line in the NFL. And then their inside linebackers are, are so good. Uh, they just picked up Zach Cunningham uh, from the Houston Texans. Uh, he was waived by Houston um, and, and Cunningham led the NFL in tackles last year. So he's a stud. You put him in the middle of the defense and they already have some studs in the middle there. And then Kevin Byard in the back end is arguably the best free safety in the NFL. Mad so, underrated. Mad underrated. Yeah, very underrated. He's gonna he's gonna be an all pro this year. He's he's a Pro Bowl starter this season. Um, and so a lot of these offensive issues I've described to you with kind of the passing game unable to get going, a lot of reasons why the Titans have been able to still win so many games is because of the defense, just their ability to create turnovers like Against the Rams uh, a few weeks ago, a team that many people still look at as a Super Bowl contender, the the Titans defense just wrecked them. Like, it it was insane. Like, they they sacked Stafford, I want to say, four or five times. Bayard had a pick six. Um, The Titans also returned a fumble to uh, to the goal line for their offense. And so when the offense hasn't even been on point, it's been the defense that's been able to carry the load. So the defense has been elite. If the offense can get back to being the elite unit, it's been the last uh, that like it was in 2020. And at the end of 2019, I mean, this is a team that can beat anyone. It's just a matter of, is the offense going to be particularly that, that passing game, is it, is it going to be up to snuff? Um, as we kind of get down the stretch here. Yeah, and, and you kind of rattled off a list of some of those defensive players, which I really wanted to get into next. Um, you know, when we look at the, the Dolphins game against the Saints on Monday night, um, it was another kind of shaky outing for the offense. They only scored 13 points. You know, they got the first seven off of a pick six, and it was almost like once they got the pick six after Ian Book's second pass, you're like, all right, that, that, that'll be enough. <laughs> you know, and then it really, it really would have been enough because the Saints only scored three. Um, but when you look at the Dolphins, you know, they had a lot of issues with that Saints defensive front, and that's what I was worried about. I mean, it, it almost derailed that game, if we're being honest. You had a strip sack. On their, on their second possession, which almost knocked them out of uh, – well, first off, it was almost recovered by the Saints, um, but it was recovered by Miami, and it almost knocked them out of field goal range. But Jason Sanders was, was able to kick one um, through there to give them a 10-0 lead. Then you go to the end of the first half where Tua gets just wrecked again by Cameron Jordan, and that actually knocked them out of field goal range. Sanders attempted a 59-yarder, but it was wide right. Um, and they, they were only able to put together – one scoring drive you know it was the it was the third quarter it was really their best drive of the game where Tua throws up a 40 yarder to Matt Collins on third down they get a flea flicker to Jalen Waddle and they're kind of in business and they have a really creative uh shuffle shovel pass to Waddle for a one-yard touchdown and, and that was really like the kind of the redeeming drive of the entire game because when you go back and you look at the box score you see that they just have 259 total yards which was the fewest since the start of this win streak the offense has improved a lot since Tua came back um they haven't been world beaters you know they I've, I've kept saying you know they've just been good enough they haven't messed it up um but you saw in that game even with the Saints defense that had some guys out of the lineup you saw the offensive line really struggle against those pass rushers um two through an interception that fortunately didn't come back to bite the 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 Dolphins but I look at this game and I and I and I say you know is this a game where the Dolphins can score 20 points and win and I have a hard time believing that, you know, they can get away with scoring 20 to 24 against the Jets and uh, the Giants and some of these other teams. But I don't think they can get away with scoring 20 against this team if the Titans kind of come and play close to their A game. Um, you know, another redeeming part or quality of that offense has just been the play of Jalen Waddle, And he was literally their entire offense, you know, 10 catches, 92 yards. They found a lot of really creative ways to get him the ball, kind of moving him into the backfield, getting him in motion, um, just putting him in the slot. And, and I wonder, I mean, who in that defensive uh, secondary do you think will match up against uh, Jalen Waddle? Cause they're going to move him around a lot. You know, they're going to have him outside. They're going to have him in the slot. They're going to have him in motion. I really liked having him out of the backfield and kind of, putting him out, wheeling him out to the flat. But who do you think on the on the Titans, excuse me, would kind of match up with Jalen Waddle in this matchup? 
Yeah, first name that comes to my head is Christian Fulton. Uh, he's he's been the Titans' stop. Uh, has been their top cornerback this season, second year pro out of LSU. Didn't really have much of a rookie season to get going because he spent a lot of it injured, but he's been healthy for for the most part this year and has kind of been their kind of CB one. And so I, I imagine that he'll kind of be following waddle around um the titans also do that they have jack rabbit jenkins as well a a guy who used to play you know for the saints who who the dolphins just just beat of course he's um he was kind of brought in uh to be the the top cornerback um but it's really been fulton who's who's been kind of the guy um in terms of jenkins jenkins is a man coverage specialist that was his reputation coming from new orleans which is kind of a you know a in terms of defense they're a man uh heavy team and so uh despite maybe kind of some kind of ups and downs jenkins has kind of been that guy uh the titans they also do have a guy buster screen uh longtime nfl vet who's uh one of those street free agents that they brought in because of all the injuries they've had he's played really well and and he plays inside and out um but fulton again w- would probably be the the guy to to match up with uh waddle most of the game um and and some of these top receivers have burned uh the, the Titans a little bit um Ebo Samuel did say. last week yeah Ebo yeah Samuel. yeah um the, I mean, the Titans have been great against elite tight ends. I, I will say, like, Kittle had uh, last week, he had only 21, 22 receiving yards, something like that. They held Kelsey's, Travis Kelsey's numbers down when, when they uh, just dominated the Chiefs uh, earlier in the season. Um, but they have kind of struggled a bit with kind of some top receivers. I, I've talked a lot about how that defensive front, that front seven, um, has been dominant at times. Uh, the the Titans have been a, a little su- susceptible to top kind of receivers. Debo Samuel was r- running all over uh, the, the Titans last week. I, I want to say it was a uh, hundred and fifty something scrimmage yards because they use him in the backfield, right? The San Francisco does so. Um, he, he was able to burn them a, a bit there, but in, in terms of, in terms of guys who are really good in yards after the catch situations the the Titans have kind of struggled there. Um, I, I remember earlier in the season two, um, a Tyler Lockett, um, from the Seahawks, one of their better receivers had kind of a, a really great day against them. Um, who else I'm trying to think of some names, um, yeah, just um, it, it, it is it, it, that I think that that is going to be kind of the key for uh, the, the the Titans is making sure Waddle, who I know is kind of on, on he's has uh, Anquan Bolden's uh, single season uh, receptions record for rookies in sight. I think keeping him in check is going to be a really um, key, for, a really big key for, for Tennessee. I, I think the Titans can handle uh what's his name Gasecki Gasicki I always yep. mess up his name Gasicki <laughs> Gasicki yeah yeah I, I th- the Titans have a tight end stopper on their team basically that that's kind of what he's referred to as Dane Crookshank so I, I think they'll kind of be able to kind of handle that but uh handling Waddle is is certainly going to be a handful um and obviously as with any defense you know the coverage and and the pass rush is connected right so if those guys up front, the, the ones I was talking about, like Jeff Simmons, Danico Autry, if he plays, Harold Landry, um, Dupree, if he plays, he's also in, in protocols. If those guys can get home, maybe Waddle isn't as much of a, a factor, but I, I think uh, that is going to be kind of a, a matchup to watch. Um, and, and as I was kind of saying, I, I would imagine uh, Christian Fulton on the Titan side being the one to match up with him. Yeah, it really is a just interesting matchup because, like I said, the Dolphins' offense has been so just so hampered by an inability to like stack drives together. Um, I mean, you really, um, you know, outside of a couple of games this season, I mean, it's 
It's a lot of, uh, you know, maybe first drive, get a field goal or a touchdown goal. The next four drives without getting into the red zone. Um, and then, the, you know, they kind of, they'll kind of string a, one kind of salvaging drive together. Um, and Waddle's just, I mean, Waddle really took that game over. You know, obviously Tua was getting him the ball, but the way that they were able to move him around um, and just keep him constantly involved, I mean, he got 12 targets and two or through 26 passes. Um, and we know that he's been targeted a lot, um, but it just seemed like a concerted effort to get him the ball. And, and I do wonder how defenses will start to start to adjust as, you know, obviously he's got a season's worth of film now. Um, and, and when they face him, how they, how they kind of rotate coverages or whether they double him or what it may be. Um, and, you know, as we kind of transition into the predictions part of uh, this episode, I kind of went back and forth on this. Um, I, I think a lot of people thought that the real, the real test of this Dolphins win streak would have started Monday night um, with the Saints. Unfortunately, the Saints, won't, I'm sure Dolphins fans won't say unfortunately, but the fact of the matter is the Dolph, uh, the Saints played with, you know, close to two dozen guys out because of COVID protocols. Um, so really these next two games, you know, I know that the, the day after the game of the morning after uh, the Monday night win, um, the Dolphins still weren't getting that much love from maybe like the national media who said, hey, seven games, seven wins is impressive, um, but you just beat a team that was kind of COVID-wracked. Um, the quality of wins over the course of the win streak haven't been that impressive, but I think this is another real opportunity to say, hey, now we're for real. Um, you know, we didn't just sneak into this playoff spot, but we deserve this playoff spot. Um, and I think a win here would really go a long way. Um, something just tells me, something just tells me Ryan Tannehill might play spoiler. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think just, just obviously the, the matchup, you know, I think that again, I think this is kind of similar to the Saints game where it could be a game where the Titans defensive front has a really good advantage, um, a really big advantage against the Dolphins offensive front that had trouble uh, Monday night um, in the same vein. I think that if the Titans aren't able to get some of those starting offensive linemen back, it could be a rough night or a rough afternoon for Ryan Tannehill. You know, the, the Dolphins um, during the win streak, they they lead the NFL and sack rate on non-blitzes. So on 11% of those non-blitzes, uh, they're getting to the quarterback, which is, you know, the best in the league. So I do kind of wonder if, uh, you know, whether it's, um, I'm trying to think who's still on the, on the COVID list. I believe it's Lawan and, Kendall Lamb, if they're not able to come back for some reason, um, you know, I know, uh, was it Dylan Raddins? He came in at left tackle and um, he had a really strong game. He was praised for his performance, but um, that's still, that's still a rookie going in there against guys like Emmanuel Agba and Andrew Bankinko and whatnot. At the end of the day, I just, I know Dolphins fans are going to hate me for this. <laughs> I think, I think it maybe comes, comes to a halt. I won't, I won't say to a stop, but maybe they get a little little road bump here before the season finale. I'm going Titans 21 to 18. I don't have a lot of conviction in this prediction. Um, but yeah, I think it's a low scoring game. And again, just the impact of AJ Brown, the impact of maybe having Julio Jones back in the lineup. Um, I think for the first time in a long time, this past defense is really going to get tested. And I, while I do think that Byron Jones and Xavier Howard are up to the task, Javon Holland, um, they might not have Brandon Jones, but he plays more um, close to the box. I do think that the Titans could win a fair share of those battles. And in the end, kind of being at home, I'm sure that uh, Ryan Tannehill will really want to win this game. I'm sure they'll want to win this game for him. I, I just think Tennessee kind of comes up on top and kind of gives the Dolphins magical run a little bit of a, of a speed bump. Yeah, it's 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 so tough giving predictions for these games on a. Oh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Yeah, um, Tuesday night, depends, COVID like, and everything. Yeah, yeah COVID, yeah, and then I, you know, I gotta we, add the caveat. You know, COVID be damned. Exactly. Because you know? because I uh I remember last last Tuesday when I was recording it with my guest. Um, you know, I said Dolphins by like two points. I didn't have a lot of conviction in that prediction, but obviously once the news came out that like. 15 additional players landed on the COVID list. I felt pretty strongly about that. So again, this is all kind of given the current COVID situation. Sure. It's subject to change, but yeah. For sure. On. 
For sure. Yeah. COVID and, and then injuries like, you know, guys could just pop up on the injury report. You didn't even know we're hurt on, on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, so yeah, this is obviously tentative, but, but yeah, I, I'd give it to at this moment with the information we have at this time, I'd say Titans kind of like you t- Titans. I, I give the edge to them in, in a close one. I'll say what 24, um, 21. I, I think Ryan Tannehill is going to get his revenge. Uh, I already know Ryan Tannehill is going to downplay uh, playing against his old team. Uh, most of those guys are most of those guys aren't even there, but still, I'm sure he wants exactly. to get the revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as a competitor, I mean, it has to play some role. I mean, especially for for a guy like him. I mean, he was in Miami for seven years. I mean, yeah. that's you know, so, some of these guys going to play against their old teams were there for maybe you know just a few years i mean Tannehill was there for seven years so there's obviously something there even if what i know for a fact Tannehill won't really add anything uh to kind of playing against miami uh on wednesday uh when he when he speaks but but yeah like like you said i think the titans are gonna want to win they're gonna win, i think they're gonna win this i think they're gonna want to win this for him and i think it'd be really special for him to kind of clinch the afc title the afc south title against his old team i think that would be a really cool thing uh for him um and yeah the 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 titans pass protection is going to be something to watch you you mentioned the one and uh lamb are in protocols right now they also have uh right guard nate davis in protocols lamb is actually their like top reserve tackle and nate davis is one of their starting guards um and he he got like all pro votes last year so he's kind of he's he's a pretty good player up front so if they don't have those three yeah the pass rush the dolphins pass rush is is definitely going to be a factor but um but again it, it was a it was a factor uh, for the Titans against the Niners, like you said, that Dylan Radins, their second round rookie, had to kind of step in against Nick Bosa, who has 15 sacks on the season, and he did a, a decent job. And and kind of that whole group up front, I mean, they did give up four sacks, but they didn't let the 49ers just wreck their game plan. Um, and, and I think in large part because they had A.J. Brown uh that Tannehill had AJ Brown to throw to. And that kind of goes back to uh, the impact that I think he has on the passing game. And, and I'll kind of say that again for this week for the dolphins game, having AJ on the field makes this offense is light in day with like kind of AJ on the field. So um, with him on the field, I absolutely give them the advantage, even if they are missing a couple guys up front. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a fun matchup. It's um, a lot of a lot of kind of dueling storylines, and like we said uh, early on in, in the episode, um, a pivotal matchup. The Dolphins are in control of their own destiny. They can secure a playoff spot with two wins, uh, starting with the Titans, and then obviously in the season finale against the the, the Patriots. Um, the Titans, on the other hand, are trying to clinch the AFC South, stay in contention for the one seed. So um, it's definitely a game where you're going to you're going to see these guys uh, really understand the magnitude of the situation. Um, and I'm excited to I'm excited to get down to Nashville and, uh, you know, I got to get some barbecue. You know, I was in Memphis for for a postgrad internship. I got some Memphis barbecue. I know Memphis and Nashville, they have the, the little rivalry. Um, so I got to check out some some barbecue as well. You're going to have to hit me up with some spots, man. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And, and yeah, I, I will say, I mean, I haven't even been to Memphis yet, but Memphis, Memphis is definitely number one for barbecue. I'm pretty sure that's where barbecue was invented. Um, but just <laughs> yeah. like Southern food in general in Nashville is just a one, like wow. being from the West coast. That. Like I haven't had Southern food like this good. So um, I, I'll definitely give you um, some recommendations uh, for sure. Now that's music to my ears. Bringing in the new year with some with some Nashville uh, barbecue, that's for sure. I'm loving it. Uh, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Dolphins in Depth podcast. Uh, I want to thank Ben so much for joining me, talking all things Dolphins Titans. Uh, it's a big one uh, for for Dolphins fans. Uh, bringing in the new year with a pivotal AFC matchup. 
Dolphins can stay in playoff contention, stay in their seventh seed playoff spot with a win. Um, And we'll be back next week to preview another weekend of Dolphins football. But until then, you guys take care uh, and happy new year. Bye.